We have faced many trials and tribulations in our life, and we've asked ourselves that one important question, why me, Lord? Why am I going through this? Why am I dealing with the hardship? Why am I dealing with the temptation? Why am I handling all of the, the fiery arrows that come my way? Now that I know that I've needed you more than I've ever needed you before, Lord, help me, Jesus. I know who I am. When we realize who we are in Christ, we start to realize the value of our life. And in that song, it's so important because it was expounding and it was magnifying just who we are and who we should be. And this morning, I want us to say this together as we kick off this morning's message. And if, if Ali will bring it up on the screen... I want us to say this together, and I want you to remember this. Let's say it together, church. You are a winner, not a whiner. You are a victor, not a victim. You are anointed, you are highly favored, and you are a child of the Most High God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We have to realize at some point in our life our value in Christ. And this morning, I want to talk to you about turning failure into favor, part two, when lemons are turned into lemonade. When lemons are turned into lemonade. If you'll take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In this message, we're going to talk about when lemons are turned into lemonade. But taking our failures and turning them into the favor of God. I don't even know if kids in school take report cards anymore. I don't know how that is done. But when I was growing up, the teachers gave us report cards to take home. And one of our parents had to sign it. Young Billy brought his report card home one day and unfortunately... It had a couple of F's on it. He brought it to his dad and said, Dad, here's my report card along with a couple of your old report cards I found in the attic. That's why I hid mine really, really far back in the archives so they couldn't see it to compare, right? I never really understood those letter grades, did you? I mean, think about this. We all know that F stands for fail. But F was the only letter grade that stood for something. Think about this. A stood for excellent, not awesome. B was good, but not beautiful. C meant average, not complacent. And D meant poor instead of despicable. And then they skipped from D to F. Can you just imagine... Would somebody tell me, whatever happened to the letter E? Why did they just skip E and go from D to F? That was almost catastrophic. I still have PTSD over it. (laughs) You all have been there with me. You've all been to the place at the end of that, that year of school. You know what your grades were. But why did we think that magically it would say... The big F on there, you failed. So you hold on to the report card, and you know you've had good grades. 
But why is it we, all, we always went to the extreme, feeling like we were a failure, feeling like that we were a victim, not a victor, living a life of being a whiner instead of a winner, not understanding that we have favor with God and that God wants to bless us. You might have never, ever even received an F on your report card. But I believe that everybody in this room has failed at something in your life. And this morning, if you have never failed at anything you've ever attempted, then you're more than welcome to get up this morning, go have lunch, leave early, because maybe this message isn't for you. And those of us that have failed in the past and will fail again in the future, this message is for us this morning. Imagine just for a moment that I came to church to preach here at New Hope. Obviously. Someone found out I had been in jail in the last city where I preached. They formed a mob and committed to running me out of town. They stir up opposition. I preach only three weeks and then the pressure gets so hot that in the middle of the night I decide to tell Becky... My daughter, Lindsay, the rest of them are married and out of the house. Thank you, Jesus. Load up the family in my car and we leave down the road. Most people would consider that a failure, wouldn't we? That's exactly what happened to Paul. He came to Thessalonica from Philippi where he had been beaten and then he was thrown in jail. With the wounds on his back still tender, he preached in Thessalonica for only three weeks. Only three weeks. A mob formed to oppose him. They looked for him and Silas to drag them out into the streets to stone them. But what did Paul and Silas do? They hid. But in the middle of the night, they snuck out of Thessalonica and headed to Berea. After he preached in Berea a few weeks, the mob in Thessalonica followed him there and stirred up a mob against Paul. He had to leave again, and this time he headed to Athens. Let's look in our Bible here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what it says, and we're going to read in verse 1. And I might just go through the whole 19 verses this morning. It starts off where Paul is greeting the church in Thessalonica. And then he was encouraged them to live a life of faith in Thessalonica. But Paul starts to remember his visit and what it was like. And so he's addressing it here in verse 1. And I will be reading from the New Living Translation. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we have been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But our purpose is to please God and not people. Highlight that there if you want. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. 
As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. In verse 8, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be burdened to any of you as we preach the good news, God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God. That we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Then you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stopped thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then in verse 14, and then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea. Who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They fail to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but anger of God has caught up with them at last. So Timothy's good report here is about the church, and he starts to address it as well in verse 17, as we conclude in this chapter of number 2. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what God, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns. It is you. Yes, you are our pride and you are our joy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning asking that you'll give us clarity in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Help us to understand what failure looks like, what favor is, and how we can rejoice as we do your work. So, Lord, as I go through this today, Lord, I pray that you'll bring to mind what you once said today. Speak through me. Hide me behind the cross. Put me in your shadows. And let the people, let your children, see their Father and their Savior this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he's addressing them. And we read here that by many standards, Paul's visit to Thessalonica could be called a failure. He only preached there for three weeks, then he was run out of town. But Paul is a great example of how God can turn 
our failures into his favor? Where have there been failures in, in your life? What has happened in your life where you feel that you have failed? Maybe you've gone through the heartache of a failed marriage. Or maybe you've gone through the heartache of a failed job. Or you got fired or maybe you were asked to resign. Maybe for some of you young adults, you might have applied for a scholarship. Or maybe even a job and got turned down. Maybe for some, you might be suffering from failing health. Or maybe that you have experienced a financial failure in your life. Maybe you feel you failed as a parent or you failed in a business adventure. For all of us who have ever failed or will fail in the future, this morning there are four lessons that we can learn about overcoming failure. And the four points this morning are, number one, failure doesn't have to be fatal. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. After his introductory remarks, Paul was quick to say, our visit to you was not a failure. Now, why do you think he wrote that? I think it was because there were some of his enemies who were claiming his visit to Thessalonica that it was a big, big failure. At the time that it happened, I'm sure Paul was disappointed. Nobody enjoys getting run out of town. Their fingers pointed at But with the perspective of time, Paul insisted what most people would call a failure had been turning into something good by the power of Almighty God. By God's power. A lesser man would have probably given up on preaching after being arrested, after being beaten, and then run out of not one city, but two cities. But Paul kept on preaching. Why? Because what you pursue becomes your what you pursue becomes your I just wanted to make sure everybody was listening last week when I brought that up. What you pursue becomes your purpose. The truth is all of us fell at one time or at another. But failure does not have to define you. Just because you have failed, it doesn't make you a failure. I like what it says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. But the wicked are brought down by destruction. Even righteous Good people will fail. Even righteous good people will fall. But the righteous person who gets up and keeps on trying. The Bible says, but when a wicked person stumbles, they stay down. When a wicked person stumbles, and then they stay down. The Bible reads like a who's who of failures. I love Hebrews chapter 11, has often been called the Faith Hall of Fame. Some people call it the Roll Call of Faith. But it could also be called the Roll Call of Failures. Because think about this. I'm going to go through these stories without pointing them all out throughout the scriptures, but I hope you'll be able to follow me this morning. 
Abraham lied, lied about Sarah being his wife. Jacob and his mother Rebekah lied to Isaac in order to steal the blessing that belonged to whom? Esau. Moses killed a man and because he lost his temper, he failed to enter the promised land. Many of us know that Jesus had two disciples who failed him, that there was a big difference. Judas betrayed the Lord. He felt in his commitment to Jesus, but Judas felt only remorse. Sad part is he never repented. Simon Peter had boasted to Jesus, These other disciples, these other disciples might forsake you, but I will never forsake you. But Peter failed to live up to his promise. He denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. But the good part is, he repented and was restored by Jesus Christ. John Maxwell has written many books on leadership, and here's what he says. Failing doesn't mean I'm a failure, it just means I have not yet succeeded. It doesn't mean I've accomplished nothing, it just means I've learned something. It doesn't mean I've been a fool. It just means I've had the courage to take a risk. It doesn't mean God has abandoned me. It just means he has a better idea. Remember, failure isn't final and it isn't fatal. God can bring you back from failure. How many of you believe that this morning? Let me hear you say amen. 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 God's mercies are new every day. God's mercies are new every day. Every morning. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I'm dead. I've made such a big, big mistake. I don't think I can ever recover from it. But Paul says, hold on just a minute. Failure isn't final. And it isn't fatal. You can step up. And I want to continue. So Paul says in point number two, failure can be the fertilizer for success. Failure can be the fertilizer for success. Since being run out of town, here Paul had come to understand God's purpose for his life. He wrote, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with what? With his gospel. God has given to us a very valuable resource. And that is what? The gospel. He has entrusted it to us. Many banks and financial institutions have a trust department. When you donate your money to a trust, you expect it to be what? Managed well. Paul was the kind of man who learned from his mistakes. Author Jim Stavall observed, and I love this, my favorite movie of all times is called The Ultimate Gift. How many of you have ever seen it? Okay, well, the whole church needs to find it. The Ultimate Gift. I love that movie. And if you haven't, he's a great author. It's a great book. And and then there's even a sequel to it as well. But here's what he observed. Conventional wisdom might tell us that people who succeed never fail. And failures never succeed. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because failure isn't final. It's the fertilizer for your future successes. The only thing that is final is quitting. 
You're a victor. You're not a victim. You're a winner. You're not a whiner. You have favor. You are a champion. You are a child of the Most High God. You have to believe that. Some people, some of the people we consider successful have experienced failure. See if you can guess the names of these successful failures. Listen closely. This is interesting. I could start with just our past president. Many people will have said, oh, he was a terrible businessman, that Donald Trump. Amazing. Oh, do you know that he filed bankruptcy? Not once, twice, three times, however many times. Amazing that he became the president of the United States of America. That's something to think about. And then we look at the scriptures and we see that Paul, who had failed, said, I'm going to turn this around for success. And I know people probably view our past president in whatever way, and that's understandable. I understand. We're not going to, not everybody's going to like everything about me. But I'm here to present the gospel. That's the difference between a president and a pastor. I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. But there have been people in our church that do not like my style, may not like that I sing, may not like the way that I dress. Sometimes they don't even like your hair color. That's just reality. But listen to these stories of successful people that experienced failure. And I'll see if you guys can guess these names of the successful failures. He was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Walt Disney. Interesting, isn't it? She was demoted from her job as a news anchor because the producer said she wasn't fit for television. Nope. Oprah. Oprah Winfrey. As a 30-year-old, he was devastated and depressed after being removed from a company he started. Yes. Steve Jobs. He failed the sixth grade and was defeated in every election for public office until he became England's prime minister, which was... Winston Churchill. You've got an A in class today. And A means... Oh, just kidding. He was fired after his first performance at the Grand Old Opry. Listen, I loved this when I was reading this. And was told by the manager, You ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving truck. Elvis Presley. Good job, Melissa. She was a single mother, depressed and living on welfare. Struggling to attend school when she wrote her first novel... From Harry Potter? Yeah, correct. Emperor Ferdinand criticized him and said his operas were far too noisy and contained far too many notes. Wolfgang Mozart. And in 2002, Michael Jordan made a television commercial for Nike in which he said, I've missed over 9,000 shots. I lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and I missed... I failed over and over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Paul spent much of his ministry in prison. Yet, I love what Paul said, I refuse to be called a failure. In fact, he boasted that being in jail just gave him a great opportunity to do what? To share the gospel. He wrote these words from prison. And they're found in Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 13. 
It says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul was actually the first optimist. He turned his lemons into lemonade. He turned a jailhouse into a church house. He turned those chains into a congregation. He turned a prison into a pulpit. When I look back over my life, I'm reminded of the failures of my past. Many people would say to me, oh, you'll never make it. I had more people saying nays than giving me the thumbs up. They were giving me the thumbs down. How sad is that? What happened to when God plants something in our hearts and in our lives that we stop? That's why people don't surrender. They don't believe in that faith that Paul's talking about. My wife and I were talking this morning and and, and I'll go into this, into the next point here, but, you know, when it says failure can be the fertilizer for success, when people would say to me, oh, he won't make it a week. He won't make it a month. He won't make preaching. It'll never happen a year. Uh, just wait. After that year was passed. Oh, he won't make it. He won't make it two years, three years and four years. And I went to my wife and I said, I've learned one thing about surrender. That even though surrender looks at giving all, coming to the end of yourself so that you can get to the beginning of God, realizing that you're fulfilling His will, I might be in chains. And I might get persecuted from other Christians. True story. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. Well, I want you to know that I didn't make it. I haven't made it. Jesus Christ made it. You see, he died, he was buried, he rose the third day victorious, and he will come back and get his church. That will be the victory day. See, it's not about me. I would tell her all the time, yeah, I understand. It's difficult. Ministry is difficult. People are difficult. Families are difficult. But I learned. And no matter what happens, if we make it that one week, if we make it two weeks, if we make it three months, six years, ten years, fifteen years, thirty, a hundred, no matter what, because here's what has to be firm, has to stay, and it will sustain, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not me. It's not Todd. It's God. That's the reality of ministry. We have felt in ministry sometimes that it's difficult because we have felt persecuted in some ways. We've lost some very good friends of ours. They've had expectations of us. But you can't have expectations of man. You can only have expectations of what God expects of you and your walk and your relationship. In this story, many of you may know this, it's, it's a story about Chuck Colson. 
He since has passed away in 2012. He was an Ivy League trained lawyer and a former Marine captain. He was a bloodthirsty politician. He was out there fighting the good fight. He once said he would walk over his own grandmother to reelect Richard Nixon. The turning point in his life was when he was convicted in the Watergate scandal and was sent to federal prison. Just before he was sentenced to prison, a friend gave him a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Colson was at such a low point in his life, he realized how much he needed Jesus. And at that moment, that's when he became a follower of Jesus Christ. When he was released from prison, he founded Prison Fellowship Ministries and was the author of 30 Christian books. And had a syndicated radio program called Breakpoint that aired on 1,400 stations. He received the Templeton Prize for Religious Work. And President George W. Bush awarded him the Presidential Citizens Award. His failure became the fertilizer for his successes. In his book, Born Again, he wrote, The real legacy of my life was my biggest failure. That I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation being sent to prison was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. Isn't that amazing? Hayes Wicker was his pastor in Naples, Florida. Said many of the 30-somethings in his church were surprised to learn from that Chuck was an ex-con. All they knew about him was that he was a great Christian leader. That's because God can turn human failure into heavenly favor. When you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. Because God can turn human failure into heavenly favor. Number three, the formula for failure is to try to please everyone. Number three, the formula for failure is to try to please everyone. There were many people who opposed Paul, but he wasn't a victim of the disease to please people. He wrote, we are not trying to please men, but we're trying to please God. Herbert Swope was the first winner of the Pulitzer Prize for reporting. He later served as editor of the New York World. Here's his famous quote. I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is try to please everybody. You spend your life trying to please people. You will never succeed. And Abraham Lincoln is credited with saying, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. But I don't even think you can even please some of the people any of the time. And you can't even please all of the people some of the time. People are just too fickle. In his letter to the Galatians, here's what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. We are often faced with a choice between trying to please people or trying to please God. And if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. Listen, but if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. What a defining moment in my life. 
man, I can go back. And it was hard. I can go back to the conception of just trying. And, and the reason why I'm going to give you these illustrations is because I, I know what it's like to be a pastor, to start a church, and know that people are always giving you ideas, and I've taken a lot of great ideas, and I've, I've implemented those ideas. But I'm not going to change the gospel for nobody. I'm going to continue to preach the word. We're going to still continue to worship, and we're going to praise, and we're going to be challenged to live holy, godly lives. That was Paul's responsibility to the church here at Thessalonica. And back in the beginning of our, our ministry, I just remembered so many obstacles. So many obstacles. I mean, I can go all the way back to 15 years ago. I remember this one time, this was probably about 12 years ago, when one of our leaders had committed adultery with an individual in the church. And when this took place, I wanted to handle it as gracefully as I possibly could because I didn't want to be a failure. Because, you know, if you're a failure, people are going to leave. So then I started thinking to myself, oh, but Todd, you better please all of these people over here because if you don't, they're going to leave. They love him. They love her. So I started praying about this. And I thought, Lord, I need your wisdom. I've never gone through this before. I don't know how to handle it. So my wife approached the woman. I approached the man. We were both lied to. Nothing's going on, preacher. Well, when you come to grips with God and the Holy Spirit starts to convict you, you start to find freedom. There's always shame and sin, church. There's always shame and sin. But there's also freedom in Jesus Christ. And we may be in chains for the gospel, but we have to, to remember that there's always freedom, too. We don't have to live in sin any longer. The Bible says, God forbid that grace may abound. We no longer have to live like that. So I looked at this couple. We went to them, and I, I approached both of them. They both then confessed. And as they confessed, it was a very, very hard time for my wife and I. No one will ever know, ever know. Because it's people you love. You can't help. You love people. And we know that temptation comes in the form of everything. When you feel empty, things start creeping up in your life, and the devil gets a stronghold, not just a foothold, but a stronghold in your life. And on that Sunday, one Sunday morning, a couple weeks later, I overheard, I was at the bottom of the steps. We had a two-story church sanctuary upstairs and I was down in the fellowship hall and I heard these women verbally and vocally attacking my wife. Well, I thought this is chaos. So I think there was 10 steps up, 10 steps. I leaped those steps from one, from the bottom clear up to the top of the steps and then leaped to the top of the steps. As soon as they saw me flying up those steps, they all dispersed. And I stopped every one of them. And I said, excuse me, I removed that individual from leadership in this church because of his choices. If you have a problem, come to the source. Don't attack my wife. 
their eyeballs got this big. Now, let me back up. I thought I just told you that I prayed over this and I wanted to handle things the best way I knew how. Oh, no, it was her fault. It was my fault that I had to remove them from leadership positions. I never kicked them out of the church because I believe people should be restored. Amen? Restore them back to fellowship with Jesus Christ. But, see, it doesn't matter when somebody doesn't confess. See, the Scripture says, if we shall confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you don't confess, you don't see your life as failed. You're now justifying the sins of your past. Oh, that was just story number one. And I knew then that something was happening with me because my dark beard started turning gray. Really. And and I know I make jokes about it, but it's reality. And then it was one story after another. Oh, not just five people left. We can't, we can't just do five. We have to do ten, maybe even fifteen. No, we were up to thirty people that said, Pastor, we just don't believe what you did. Well, I'm here to tell you, church, you commit adultery. You're in a leadership position. I will call you out. I will make sure that we are all accountable for the things that we do. You're not going to get in this pulpit and preach the word if you're shacking up with Shanty, whoever she is. <laughs> Shanty Sheila. I'm stopping it. Listen to this. Listen to this. And this is what they told me. I can't believe you did that to that couple. They were in love. No, she was married. And you went in to destroy that family. No, that is the enemy that will come in and do that. But my job is, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. There is freedom when humility starts to take place and there is restoration for all of God's people. I didn't bring this man publicly, nor this woman. All I did was love them to to Calvary, love them to the cross. And yet, I was still, I'm the bad guy. Oh, let them continue doing what they're doing. Well, do it somewhere else, but Jesus' anointing is here, and I am not going where you're going. Sorry. And I'm not sorry. That was one of many. One Sunday morning, my wife got a call, just decided to pick up the church phone. Well, we don't do that any longer. (laughs) Nope, not going to do that. I'm in my office and I overhear somebody screaming and yelling. You are the worst blankety blank blankety blank 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 blank. I walked in there, I'm like, what? What is going on? They were mad and called us every name in the book because we didn't go visit mommy in the hospital. I thought to myself, visit her in the hospital? We took food? 
We even talked to the chef, created food, drove clear to Cleveland, Ohio to love, to pray, and to do what we... But see, you can't ever please people. You can never please everyone. So the formula for failure is to try to please everyone, and you'll never do it. Everybody has expectations. But if I put my expectations on you, y'all probably wouldn't come back next Sunday. That's just reality. We do that, but we need to walk in the graces of Jesus Christ. I love this. There's a, a fable about an old man, his young grandson, and a donkey. They were in the city, and the boy was riding the donkey as the old man walked along. They passed a group of people who remarked that it was terrible for the young boy to ride while the old man had to walk. So they listened to the critics and changed places. They went a little farther, and another group said, What a shame to make a little boy like that uh, walk. So they listened to their critics, and both rode. The next group commented on how cruel they were to put such a burden on that poor little donkey. The old man and the boy decided they were right. So they decided to carry the donkey. As they were crossing a bridge, they lost their grip and the donkey fell into the river and drowned. What is the point of this story? It's that if you listen to every critic, you'll lose your assurance of success. You'll never get where you're going. So, there's the moral of that story. And so, all of the different stories that I heard, it's not to call anybody out. It's to let you know that we are here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you as a Christian to keep your eyes focused on Christ because, I'll tell you, we live in a world that's full of sin. Point number four, but there's victory in Jesus. God uses our failures to test us. Listen, Paul understood the temporary failure was a test. He wrote... God who tests our hearts. You see, life is full of tests. Since we were in school, we've been taking tests. You can't graduate unless you what? Pass the test. And if you get caught cheating on a test, that's a no-no, and that's bad. A high school teacher told the football coach she had caught his star quarterback cheating on a test. And he couldn't play on Friday night. The coach was upset and went to the teacher and said, how do you know my quarterback cheated? The teacher said he was sitting across from the smartest girl in the class and they had the same score. The coach said, well, that doesn't prove anything. That could have just been coincidental. I mean, come on. That might have just been a coincidence. The teacher showed the coach the two tests and she said, watch and look and listen. Closely. Here on question number 10, the smart girl's answer was, I don't know. And your quarterback wrote, I don't know either. <laughs> we talk about final exams, but there's a misnomer. Life continues to be a series of tests. Even when you graduate, there are eye, eye tests and stress tests, blood tests, taste tests, all kinds of tests. And now we've got COVID tests. God says, see, I've refined you through not... Though not as silver, I've tested you in the furnace of affliction in Isaiah chapter 48. I'm going to say this and I'm going to conclude. There are many places in the scripture where God speaks of refining us. A refinery is a place where a substance is purified. In an oil refinery, gases and other elements are removed from crude oil to create this pure gas and gasoline products. That's why God allows adversity to come into our lives. 
He wants to purify our lives. He puts us in the furnace of affliction. God is removing those things in our lives that are not what? Christ-like. Several years ago, Christianity Today conducted a survey of Christians. They asked the subjects to name the time in their life when they grew the most spiritually. Want to guess what the number one answer was? During a crisis. People confessed that their faith grew the most during times of personal adversity. During a crisis. Here at New Hope, we're more interested in helping you grow spiritually. So I've been talking to to Pastor Luke about how we can create more crisis in your lives. You know, remember the, the guy in the all-state insurance? I'm glad you guys haven't nodded out on me today. You guys are really with me. I'm, this is awesome. Remember the guy in the old all-state insurance commercials? If we create chaos and mayhem in your life, you'll be on a fast track to spiritual growth. Of course, I'm just kidding. Our strategy is to get all of you involved in a Sunday morning discipleship class. Doesn't that sound like a little better than a little more chaos? I was walking downtown, and I'm going to go ahead and close. And, um, as I was walking downtown Cuyahoga Falls, I remembered uh, just at the time just praying over, you know, where God wanted us. I was always looking. I, I, and people will say, Pastor, you need to be content with whatever God has given you. And I, I said to him, I said, be content with whatever God has given you? No, uh-uh. I'm listening again, right? And if you listen to too many people, you'll end up failing miserably. So I'm walking up and down, you know. Uh, I went over, it was YMCA, it was at the Broad Boulevard, and now they've opened up. What is the road downtown Cuyahoga Falls? They open back up. Front Street, thank you. Get it? Front, okay. And, uh, whatever. Um, so I was up front there by the river and on Front Street, and I was walking. I just remember that day I'm walking up and down. I'm like, Lord... I know you have a building here for us. Lord, I can feel it. Lord, I just want you to take us from the YMCA. We weren't even at the cultural center yet. We weren't even on Riverside yet. And I'm praying, Lord, give us a building. And I'm walking all the way up and down Front Street. I'm looking at these storefronts. And I felt at that time God wanted us there. And I remembered as I stopped and I turned. And I started to enter what I guess at one time was the movie theater. I had never gone to the movie theater there in downtown Cuyahoga Falls, but there was a movie theater there. And I'm like, this is it. Yes, I can see it. Yep, blinking lights, new hope. <laughs> Instead, you know, when you walk into movie theaters, they got posters for the movie. We'll put posters of Jesus. I had this all planned out, right? We're going to go in and the foyer's going to have the concession stands and people are going to get popcorn and all kinds of stuff. I, like, I'm standing there envisioning all this stuff. Now I'm starting, I'm like, yep, Lord, speaking to me. And then I looked and I was trying to see in there and they had the windows covered. And I'm, and I'm looking through there and I'm like, this is interesting because um, I'm, I'm noticing that it's pretty tore up talked to Leslie and we looked at our bank account and we had like $790 in there. We were really rich. And uh, it's about right now too, but uh, just kidding. Uh, so I, I got all excited and I'm like, that's okay because I know that 
that God always builds our faith in, in personal adversity and no matter what we go through. And so I'm excited. I, I mean, I walked out of there and I'm, I'm looking at that building, feeling this feeling that was overcoming me. And I walked next to him like, this is great. Right here is the parking deck. People can park in the parking deck and come into church. Wow, this is meant to be. I went to, directly left there, went to the mayor's office. I don't mess around. So I'm, t- I'm like, can I please speak to somebody about zoning, city council, so on and so forth? And they're looking at, over what? And I said, oh, over the movie theater that was downtown Kaga Falls. And the woman's kind of looking at me. She's like, hold on just a minute. So I, so this guy comes from a back office and he walks out. And I said, I'm interested in the movie theater. He goes, you're interested in the movie theater. I said, yeah, I think it would be a great... I mean, think about it. The movie theater, the seats go down. There's a stage. We want to have a church. I started a church. We're up here on Broad Boulevard at the YMCA. I am so excited. He looked at me and said, well, first of all, you've never even been inside that building. It is a disaster zone. I'm like, what? Yeah, the ceiling's falling in. And do you know that community of believers, they have all the seats in there? And as he's talking to me, I'm going you got to be kidding me. Now I'm really feeling like a failure. I'm thinking to myself, self, you screwed up again. And I really started beating myself up, and I thought, nope, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be a plan. He's like, and where they took the chairs out, it's bad. I mean, it's the whole place is just bad. It would probably cost you a couple, grand, a couple hundred thousand I said, a couple hundred thousand, I have $700 in my bank account. We ain't getting anywhere. So I just remembered walking out, probably put my hands in my pockets and feeling this sense of discouragement, a sense of failure. And if all of us could see the future, if all of us could see what was happening in the future, I believe that many of us would stop praying, surrendering, and relying on God like we need to. So I felt at that moment, that was like the first time God started to refine me, to polish me up. God allows adversity in our lives. And I want you to listen to this closely because I think it's such a great thought to finish with today. We don't have to create crisis in our life. Many times they're going to come all on their own. And remember that during these times of adversity... God is always testing us. And I knew that was a test for me. All he wanted me to do was run around, look at buildings, always be mindful, praying, living by faith, knowing that God has something greater for us. And when I looked back over that, and I've looked back over the ministries and some of the stories, I realized back that God was purifying us in the furnace of affliction. But some of the things... I'm telling you, I had lost some of my dearest friends in the ministry. And we used to think it was us. Everything was us. And I remember Debbie saying something to me one day. She said, Pastor, you need to get something in your head. We are all on our own journeys. We all do our own thing. You cannot take responsibility for what other people do. You have to stop it. Great wisdom. Listen, it's hot in a furnace. And sometimes when the heat is turned up, and when the heat is turned up on high, you want to say, okay, God, that's hot enough. 
Have I passed the test yet? When a silversmith refines silver, he heats up the impure ore up to over 1,800 degrees. As the ore melts, he skims off the impurities from the top of the silver. The only way the silversmith knows when the silver is pure is when it becomes like a mirror. And he can clearly see a reflection of his face in the molten silver. And I'm going to conclude because I believe that there is a lesson here. When God has the heat turned up in our lives, he's watching us. And do you know when he knows we've been purified? When he sees that we've been purified, it's when he can see the reflection of his son Jesus Christ in our character. When God sees that in us, so do other people. Other people see Christ in us. That's when we know, as Paul said, I might be in chains, but it's worth it. It's not all that bad, church. God might put us through all types of tests. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. Failure can be the fertilizer for success. The formula for failure is to try to please everyone. And then last, God uses our failures to test us. Will you trust in him? And would you mirror the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Let's all rise as we pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Help us to learn and to grow. Help us to understand, Lord, that just because we've failed and we might feel like we've just not done what we should have done, that you're always refining us. You're making us better instead of bitter. So God, help us to trust in you. Help us to realize that when the heat gets turned up in our lives, that you're with us, that you're watching us, that you'll never leave us, forsake us, that you're just purifying us. So help us to be a reflection of you. Help us to live our life in you. Thank you for your people today. For those that are struggling in their own walk and feel like maybe they have failed. They might be in the furnace of affliction. But before long, they will be purified. And they will shine like gold. So God, we thank you that you continue to work in us to test our hearts. To try us. Help us to never please man, but to please you. And Lord, help us to remember that our hearts and our souls, our minds, our emotions, and our focus needs to be solely set on you. Lord, bless your people. And if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, would they admit that they're a sinner? Would they humble themselves and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done you wrong. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and into my life. I acknowledge that you are my Savior, that you went to a cross and you died for me. I accept you today into my heart and into my life. For you are my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Deliver us today. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.